appreciate that prayer that Julie said about blessing me in the preaching of the Word. I always ask God to give me a rhema for the Word. Um, Rhema is the word that is used in Romans 10, 10, which says, um, well, you go, I almost want to go back to the beginning. I'll just get to the part where it says, if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, uh, that means basically saying Jesus is Lord. That word, Lord, uh, is the Greek word, and I'm pronouncing it phonetically. It's spelled with a K, but it's curious. K-U-R-I-O-U-S, curious. But in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's Adonai. Adonai, as another pronunciation. And I've said this before. It's early, if you've got a strong skin cordance, I think it's at about 129 that uh, Adonai is, uh, if you go into Strong's Concordance, they're, they're done by numbers. And it's like 129, I believe it is. Adonai. And it uh, says the em- emphatic version of number 79, which is Adon. So emphatic, you know what that means? Emphatic is you put some emphasis on it. It's like really emphasized. And so that's what Adonai means, and that's what curious means, the, the emphatic version of Adon. And Adon, which is number 79, is, uh, it says, Sovereign God, Sovereign Lord. You know, there are other words that are translated Lord in the New Testament, but they're, they're Rabboni. We get our word Rabbi from it, Rabboni, which means teacher. But that's not what this is. If you confess Jesus is your Lord, this is Adonai, not Rabboni, or curious in the Greek. What does a sovereign God mean? First of all, it says it's a not a common noun or a common name for God, but it is a proper name. A common name for God would be God in our English word. A proper name would be Lord in our English, in the Old Testament. And it would be in all in capital letters, a proper name. would In that uh, case would be Yahweh, Lord, Yahweh, okay, in the Old Testament. But Adon is a proper name. Why is that a proper name? Because we have, the word sovereign is a common name. And we say sovereign, like a nation's uh, right to govern itself is its sovereign right. You know, it's a sovereign nation. But it says sovereign Lord. And it goes on to explain in the Strong's that sovereign Lord means that it's, uh, he has, he's the only one who has sovereign lordship over his people and over this world. He's sovereign. He is the sovereign Lord. And the sovereign Lord is a proper name. 
That's Adon, Adonai or Adonai, or Adonai, however you want to pronounce it. It's an emphatic version of that. Well, that's just like, well, that just gets a little... But let's, let's just look at that. Whoso confess that Jesus is Lord and believes that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And then it goes on to say, uh, uh, how do you receive this revelation from God? And he says, by the preaching of the word. That word, word, is the word rhema, not logos. Rhema. What's the difference between logos and rhema? Pretty much uh, very similar to the Lord thing because logos is God is the word. Jesus is the word. In the beginning, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. The word. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's later on in the chapter. So that's logos. We were just talking about doxology. I think technically, ology, you know, and the way that Julie explained the, the meaning was, yeah, you, that's, a, that's one of the meanings. But technically, ology means like study of, biology, bio life, study of. That's biology. Okay? So, <clears throat> bios meaning life. So anyway, uh, doxology, dox, doxa, is the Greek word for glory. So doxology would be technically study of the glory of God. You see? So logos is used quite frequently. But rhema, on the other hand, is the spoken word of God. Now, what's the difference between the spoken word and logos, the word? Well, the word, it's like if you give simplicity to it, the Bible would be the word, the logos. But if God spoke to you a verse out of the scripture or it's just something from the scripture, that would be rhema. A spoken word in time, faith, and that's what it says here in, well, not here, but in Romans 10, same place where it says, if you will confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Rhema. And so I pray, I thank God for that little prayer about, you know, uh, whether Rhema was used or not, but the a word would be, come for me. Matthew 21 and 22, you don't have to turn. We were told, we've talked about those things. This is just a little background of where I'm going. But there are five things in there. And in the beginning, it starts talking about whether you can see it or not, it's in there. And I use that, <laughs> I use something that my wife will always say for me when she sends me to look for something and I can't find it. And she always says, it's not going to jump out at you. 
you know. You got to look for it. And, you know, just like in Song of Solomon, chapter 3, it starts off with the bride. We've talked about this. This not this verse, but the other verses in chapter 4. But the bride is asleep. And she wakes up, and while she was sleeping, her bridegroom left. And so she wakes up and says, Where is he whom my soul loveth? Where is he? He wasn't there. It's the middle of the night. So she leaves the house, and she goes out in the streets, looking for her bridegroom. And she can't find him. And she's panicking. And in the Passion Translation, it says, she says later on, I'm never going to let him get away from me again. Now remember, we're talking about Jesus as our bridegroom, and we're the church, the bride. <clears throat> I'm never going to let him get away from me again. She comes across the watchman of the city, which... Prophetically, that represents the prophets, the ones proclaiming. They they watch over the city. And so it says, she finally, she says, have you seen him whom my soul loveth? And they said, no. So she keeps looking for him. Now she's in the middle of a city. Have you ever been around when the lights go out? Well, that's what it's like at nighttime in the city when the lights go out. It's almost pitch black. You're not allowed to talk about curfews. There's a curfew. You're not allowed up at that time of the day, at night. Because anybody up at that time of the night, they're, uh, the watchmen are also the guards. And you're, in, you're looking for something, a nefarious reason. But she doesn't care. She said she's searching for her Lord, her, her bridegroom. And she finally finds him. And when she finds him, like it said in the Passion, says, I'm never going to let you go again. And, you know, I heard a beautiful teaching by Aaron Baxter one time that says, you have to, the Lord will seemingly Remove his presence from your life so that you have to go searching for him. You know the verse of scripture in Jeremiah 29, which says, uh, The thoughts that I have toward you are good thoughts, pure thoughts, lovely thoughts, because I have an expected end for you. That means I have a destiny for you. And then he goes on to say, if you will search me for me with your whole heart, you will find me. And that's what that whole idea of it's not going to jump out at you means. You have to search. You have to seek for God. And so there's these five things, I call them, for lack of a better word. You come up with a better word. Please tell me what it is. I'll use it that are in uh, Matthew 21, chapter 21 and chapter 22. And if you don't know, 
That's when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. First time, Matthew 21, he comes in on a donkey. And uh, there are these things. You read them, and you might not find them, but you can find my teachings on Facebook from going to uh, going to the website. And the website's on the back of the bulletin in case you need that. But you can find it. And there's these themes. And the first thing that it really kind of deals with is there's a transfer, transition, that is going to be taking place from Israel. And it's coming back. And I say coming back to the Gentiles. Because there was a, a thing that had been over time period where it was passed over. The, the, the clearest place, and it's all through the Bible, but the clearest place is when Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of pottage. He buys, yeah, he sells his birthright. He trades his birthright for a bowl of pottage. And so the birthright that was come to, to uh, Esau, was passed, he was passed over and it was given to Jacob, second born. You just remember that when Jacob was born, he was holding on to the heel of Esau. Jacob was born to Isaac, Rebekah. I mean, Jacob and Esau. But when Esau was first born, he was holding on to that heel. So prophetic, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, my, of course, I get this about all the prophecies in the Bible. Hundreds and hundreds of them, I just go, you know. They all impress me so amazingly. And so Esau is born first, and Jacob's holding on to that heel. What is that prophetic about? Well, go back to uh, Revelation 3, when Adam fell, and at the end of it, God saying to the serpent, a seed's going to come from woman, and he's going to crush your head, and you're going to bruise his heel. I, I remember when I first got born again again I was born saved in young man but 1971 it's in December and when I got born again again or rededicated my life to Christ it was like getting saved again I read through the Bible in about a month or two and I started at Genesis and I got to that at the very chapter, and I says, that seed coming from woman is Jesus, is going to crush Satan's head. But Jacob's holding on to that heel. Why? Because he's getting that birthright from the very from the time he's born. Even uh, uh, Rebecca said that. Jacob's the one that's going to get that birthright. Now, there was blessings that came with it, 
But there was also responsibility, and it was already, they knew back in that day about Adam and Eve. I know that because in the book of Job, he refers to Adam in the book of Job. And so, you know, I don't think that Esau was cared a, even a hoot about the responsibilities of the birthright. But Jacob wanted it. And it was, it was a sign from birth that he wants that. I want to be that one that crushes Satan's head and bruises my heel. So he was holding on to the heel to get that birthright. And so there was that thing passing over. The same thing happened after the children of Israel come out of, and was in the wilderness. And it was designed that the firstborn was going to be the representation of God. To God. In the Bible. And so, uh, but when he comes back, no, nobody wanted to go up into the mountain with him. Even though every, in the first time everybody was invited. But nobody would go up but Moses. And so, remember how the firstborn in Israel were passed over? Well, anyway, he says, who's on the Lord's side? And uh, the firstborn didn't come forward. So right then and there, there was a change. There was another passing over the firstborn for the Levites. But you see, Israel didn't, didn't, wasn't what they were supposed to be either. The Levites wasn't what they were supposed to be. And Jesus was coming not only to, to save the world, but he was coming to uh, make a transition from Israel back to Esau. Wow. He's giving it back to Esau. The, the firstborn blessing. And uh, why do I know that? Because in the book of Acts 15, they get together and they're discussing whether or not the Gentiles should become under the law of Moses. Now there's Paul, and who was over the Gentiles, churches, uh, didn't believe that, neither did Barnabas, neither did Peter. But James, who was the br- literal brother of Jesus, not James and John, sons of Zebedee, but James, the, little bro- the literal brother of Jesus, younger brother, uh, was considered to be the uh, senior pastor over the church at Jerusalem. And he had originally sent guys out to tell them that they were to come under the law of Moses. Groups of uh, Pharisee Christians. There had been Pharisees and now Christians. And so uh, they were at this big conference to determine once and for all, is that true? And James, if you read this in, in in the book of Acts 15, James says to the so I think to Paul and Barnabas and Peter's shocking surprise, he was going to agree with them. And then he says, why? I agree. To this, the scriptures agree with. And he quotes Amos, the ninth chapter, verse 11. And he says to them, because God is saving the Gentiles. Now, 
James says Gentiles. God says Edom. Edom was Esau. Esau's name was changed to Edom. The Edomites come out of the birth of Esau or Esau. And so he says, but he says Gentiles. The work is ethnics, which, you know, we get our word, you know, ethnics from. Ethnical, you know. And so we know, so this is what Jesus is transferring. Transition. The priesthood from the Levites to the Gentiles. Every believer is a priest unto God. Every single one of us. And we have the firstborn rights and there are responsibilities of the priesthood. And the first responsibility is to God. Is to minister to God. And we've talked about that in Ezekiel 44. Read over it if you haven't, if you don't remember it. First is to God. The second one is for the people. The jobs of the priest was to sacrifice sacrifices for the people and serve the people and to intercede to God on behalf of the people. So our responsibility, and this is a transition, and we say that we see this in the New Testament. We are a royal priesthood. That we should show forth praises unto God, worship unto God. Royal priesthood. Now we know that part of our priesthood responsibilities is for the people. It's because we have a high priest. Jesus Christ that is passed into the heavenlies. That intercedes on our behalf. Because he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And the first job in priesthood and intercession is you have to be touched with the feelings of people's infirmities, sins, weaknesses, iniquities. Jesus was not only touched with our iniquities, he was touched with the feelings of our iniquities, which means we're all different, have different feelings, but he's touched with all of them. So he intercedes on our behalf. And why? So that we may obtain grace, mercy, to help in time of need. Four words that talk about weaknesses. Now this is saying that we can, we can come in boldly into the presence of God because we have this high priest that's touched with the feelings of our infirmity that we may obtain grace, mercy, and help in time of need. Grace, mercy, help, Need. So if we're going to be priest unto God, then we have to be touched with the feelings of people's infirmities that we can help them find grace and mercy and help in time of need, as our high priest is unto God, Jesus. So our responsibilities. Now, Pastor Jeff Staples used to say, that to intercede is you have to do it from one of two perspectives. Either you have to do it from 
the people that are suffering's perspective that are lost. So you have to pray like you're lost. Because if you intercede, you stand in the place of. See, just like Jesus, touched with the feelings of their infirmities, he stood in the place. And so we, he was tempted like we are, yet without sin. And so we have to stand in the place, it's, it's the priesthood of, of the lost. Looking at it from the lost as if we are lost, or from God's perspective. One of my favorite teachers nowadays, and I listen to him all the time, and I have to, because he's so cerebral. Oh my word. I just got to go, I got to play that again, play that again, play that again. Ravi Zacharias. And maybe he's not, maybe you've got a higher education than I do, but boy, I'll tell you, he just blows my mind every time he opens his mouth. But I really love it, so I just listen to it over and over again. And he said something that I was not quite sure myself about. I don't doubt it. I, I really respect him, but it just, I, don't never, I never thought of it before. But he says, he, he made a sentence about us loving God and us loving man. And uh, he says, when you use words, they don't always have the same meaning. You know, it's like in Matthew 20, in John 21, when, he, when Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? And uh, Peter thought he was using the same word, but John knew he wasn't using the same word. And uh, because Jesus says, do you agape me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you more than those. I think you're talking about the fish. He's pointing at the fish. Do you love me more than these? Do you agape more? It was John that picked up that there were different words. But because he did it three times and Peter was kind of upset with him that he asked him the same question three times. And then the third time he says, do you phileo me more than these, you know? So he, he was using, and John was the one that picked up, I believe, that he was using different words. And, and Ravi says when when we use words, there's different meanings because, and he p- picked the word like loving one another and that we love one another. If you love somebody in the natural human love, and he said, it talks about how God so loved the world. Different, not only different love, but different total meaning in regards that God is love. First John 4, 7. God is love. So we are, uh, when, when it says we love, when you love somebody, if they don't love you back, it hurts you. How many of you can admit that that's true? If you don't love somebody back, it hurts. Well, when God loves somebody and they don't love him back, it hurts him. But the difference between us and him, it hurts me back when you don't love me because I'm selfish. It hurts God because he knows what it does to them. You see that? I never quite saw that before. It was just this last week I was listening to him. Well, I listen to him just about every week. So, But I was like, 
Wow, it's true. He doesn't get hurt because it hurts his feelings. You didn't love it. He's hurt for you. And so not only do we intercede because by putting our place in the person in the place of Ezekiel uh, 22 verse 30. I sought for a man who would stand in the gap and intercede for me uh, for the people. But I could I couldn't find any. Could find none. Wow. Not one. Not one. And this was just a man. What is it to stand in the gap and make up the hedge? The priest. The priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. That word royal means kingly. We are a kingly priesthood. And if we don't stand in the gap, you know, Margot gave me a book called The Harbinger, and I've been reading it. And it talks about how God has a hedge of protection around people, has had one around America, but there's breaches in it that have been made. And then there's harbingers, which are warnings that these breaches are made. I could go into talking about it, but you know those breaches are made when we look at pornography I hope you don't look at it, but when we look at it as a, as a whole that is on the airways and you know these things that our people are doing and we look at the sex trafficking and just the sex on television and the, the way things have come. And one of those harbingers was 9-11. Now, I believe that when bad things happen, it's the devil. Right? The devil was the author of 9-11. Anything bad to you, it's like Job. The devil says, there's not anybody up there. And he says, well, have you considered my servant Job? It was the devil that did all those things to him. They, he thought, Job thought God was doing them to him. All his friends thought God was doing them to him. But it was the devil. So the devil does the bad things. But it's usually because there's a, a breach in the hedge around us. You know, or it's a testing. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations and trials, knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Or it's like Job was saying. Uh, you look at this in uh, I forgot the chapter, but it says, um, "My I will come forth as pure gold because of this testing." That's, if I didn't know that was quoted in the Old Testament, I might have a little pause there, but it's quoted in the... Paul quotes it, that a, the trying, our trials will come forth as not worthy to be compared with the glory 
which shall be revealed. It shall come forth as pure gold. So anyway, we are a, a royal priesthood. I, I'm not in a blame America type person, but I'm thinking we as the church, maybe I'm a blame the church type person. If we were doing our job as in the priesthood, we would make up the hedge. And so we intercede on behalf of the people, the lost. That's our job, to pray for the people and to stand in the gap and to make up the hedge of protection around them so that they can come to the Lord and pray for them. Now, we either pray from their perspective as being lost, but they don't know they're lost. But we know they're lost They're going to hell. You pray for somebody like you want to say, you want them to be saved. That's in in, uh, 2 Timothy 2.14, I believe it is, where it says, the servant of the Lord. How many of you know we're all servants of the Lord? A servant of the Lord must be gentle to all men, able to teach. Able to teach, that means... When you're able to teach, you know it really well. Whose responsibility? The servant of the Lord. Every person in this room that believes in Jesus confessed him to be their Lord. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. And I said, that's why King James says, in most translations, he says, who oppose God. And I said, which is it? Well, technically, it's God. Because the, the, the King James way, it says, who oppose themselves. In other words, the ones that are opposing themselves are opposing God. But you also, when you're opposing God, you are opposing yourself. So I like that King James way of saying it, even though it technically means God. Who opposes God. If God, peradventure, give them repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth. I I got to be so careful about things. I was just listening to Zacharias talk about what truth is. You know, he said, he quoted Socrates one time, and he says, truth is what rocks dream of. And he was talking about, when Zacharias lays out that evolution is the most asinine, ridiculous thing to believe there is. I mean, he just really spells it out. He he just basically points out, this is what evolution is. And I told you I had to resist. This is what evolution is. Time plus matter plus chance equals mind. Did you ever heard that before? Time 
lots of time, billions of years, plus matter, goo, goo, plus chance, equals mind, M-I-N-D. You and I, our brains are by. So we come from, I mean, it's just so ridiculous, it's, it's unbelievable to believe this. And then he says, if you really believe this, then you've got no foundation for believing anything. Because <laughs> you're nothing but a pile of goo that just happened to become a mind. <laughs> so anyway, he had this whole thing about truth. What is truth when Pilate says to Jesus, what is proof? So we're either uh, interceding as a lost person ourselves, or we're interceding from God's perspective, which I just said that God loves people, and if they don't love him back, he's broken and hurt, but not because he's disappointed he didn't get any love like us. No, it's because he loved them so much and they wouldn't receive his love and he's hurt for them, not against them. And God wants us to be like that. God wants us to love him with all our heart. And I, like I said, I, goes, I got these various words that I looked up. As a matter of fact, let's just look at, it, at some of them. Let's go to Deuteronomy the sixth chapter, verse five. And then I'm going to go to Deuteronomy, the tenth chapter, verse twelve. Now I jumped. I just jumped. The priesthood was first. In conjunction with the priesthood is the restoration of the tabernacle of David. And then there was uh, the building of the church, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Uh, of the church, and then it gets to crushing Satan's head. And those are the four themes that are in Matthew 21 and 22. And again, read it. If you say, I don't see that, well, it isn't going to jump out at you. You got to search for it. And if you still don't get it, just get the tapes or get to go there. And then the fifth thing is to love the Lord thy God. And this, he quotes this in. Uh, three different places in the New Testament, Jesus does, and he's quoting scripture from the Old Testament. And the Pharisee comes to me, says, the lawyer comes to me, and says, uh, which is the first commandment? He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, and soul. And, he, and, in, and uh, in the Old Testament, let's Deuteronomy, we'll look at this one. Deuteronomy uh, 6, 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Very similar to the way it's quoted in the New Testament. Correct? And I just want to point out, soul in the New Testament, you know, is not the heart. Just like the heart and the soul is different here. You know? The New Testament, sometimes it's, in, in the Old Testament, sometimes quoted cardiac from the Greek, in the Greek. Cardiac, which, you know, you know, cardiac. You got that heart, literal heart. Sometimes in the New Testament, many times in the New Testament, it's used the word pneuma, which means air. But the soul in the New Testament means suke, 
We get our word psychic from it. I like to play bridge and sometimes he says, how could you know that? And says, well, I'm psycho. I, I have ESPN. And my partner, Mickey, who is the brother of Margaret Gibson, Mickey says, I have ESPN too. Some of you don't even know ESPN is a sports network. ESP is ESP, extrasensory perception. But I say I have ESPN, which means I have a sports network. And he says, I have ESPN too, because there's an ESPN too, which is also a sports network. And they look at it and says, <laughs> they look at it and I was like, we're crazy. It's just fun. Suke. We get a word psychic. Psychiatrist comes from suke. You have a suke. You have a mind. You have a will. And you have an intellect. And part of that is your emotions. You have a mind, a will, and an intellect. And when it says to love him with all your soul, it means your mind, your thoughts, your intellect, your will, your emotions. Okay, now turn to Deuteronomy 10, 12. Here's another verse. 10, 12, Deuteronomy. And we're going to go to, after that, we're going to do Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Now, these are the verses that are being quoted from by Jesus when he says, the first of all commandments is thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And he says this, and now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God. I got to tell you something, this one People just don't really understand that fear. We, we especially we Americans, man, that, that, back in Europe, they have Europe, Africa, all the other places, they don't have any problems with understanding fear of God. Here we gotta say awesome respect, you know, in order, because we don't wanna talk about fear. But I wanna tell you something. God has two sides of him. He has a a wrath side and he has a love side. Even his wrath is part of his love. Tim Keller says, until you understand the wrath of God, you will never understand the love of God. It's like that song, uh, be, uh, not be the... Um, uh, in Christ alone, my hope is found. You know that song? And there's one line, it says, When upon the cross he died, the wrath of God was satisfied. God poured out his wrath on his son. Wrath that you and I deserve. And so, he says, the first out is the fear of God. To walk in his ways and to love him and to what? Serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. That should, we'll stop there. Next, next one. 
verse, uh, I already told you, but I'll say it again. Verse 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. So these are the verses that Jesus is quoting from. And he says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise your heart. Boy, that's a New Testament prophecy. Because that's what Paul says in Colossians is baptism. Water baptism today is circumcision of the heart. That was part of what Abraham did in fulfilling the covenant of God. There were three things he did. One was when God passed through the animals in the dream. And the other one was circumcision of the heart. Or circumcision wasn't of the heart. It would have been a lot easier then, I guess. And then uh, we told him to offer up Isaac. And so it says, circumcision of the heart. And, uh, and the heart of thy seed. To love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, that thou mayest live. Now, I went through the New Testament and I just wrote down all those that, that it said. And it says this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, this is Jesus, with all your heart, soul, mind, might, body, spirit, strength, ability, force, emotions, intellect, thoughts, will, and intents. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all these things, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The second is like the first. And I was talking about emotions when I read the Song of Solomon, the fourth chapter. I want to talk about the will. Turn to Luke chapter 17. We're going to go through verse by verse, and we're going to close. Verse by verse, and then we're going to close. Did you get that? We're just going to go through about 15 verses here, and then we're going to close. I'm not going to get trapped into talking about anything else here but one thing. He said unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Offenses are coming. But that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. Did you hear that? You know what? One translation of offense is stumbling blocks. Then said he he unto his disciples, next verse please, it were better for him that a millstone was hanged about his neck and he be cast into the sea than to cause than that he should offend one of these little ones, one of these children. That's where he said, suffer the little children and come unto him. And then he says uh, that they should fall, that they should stumble. Take heed to yourself if your brother trespass against you and rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Now, some people use this to be a very literal thing for just forgiveness, period. Well, I did. I rebuked him and they didn't ask me to forgive him, so I'm not going to forgive him. No, 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 no. You're not let off that easy. And the Sermon on the Mountain says, uh, uh, you know, when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any. 
If, if you have something against any, forgive them. But this particular thing, he's using this particular verse. Now let's go on next verse. And if he trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day you go to him and he repents, and you shall forgive him. Now let me just point out, later on, Peter just thinks he got this down, and he says, he repeats him. He says seven times in a day, and he says no, seven times seventy. It's not a number, it's an unlimited number. And if you ask him, well, I got it down now, seven times 70, that's 490 times in a day, that he says, I'm sorry, forgive me. You forgive him 490 times. 491? No. No, it's 490 times seven. If you want to get, and if he trespasses, he says, okay, forgive him. Next verse. The apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. Now, what in the world does that mean? Increase our faith? Well, you take it any way you, if you, you take it how you take it. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you something that I don't fall into the normal interpretations of these scriptures. But I think in this particular case, that they're saying, oh, oh boy, do I need a lot of faith. To what? To do what he just said. So what are they really saying? What they're really saying is, Oh, Lord, put something inside of us that will make us do this. Personally, that's what I think it means. Lord, make us do it, because we can't do this. So it says, and the Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you've got a tiny, that's a really tiny little seed. It also has a lot of endurance. But it says, you might say to the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up in, by the root and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you having a servant? He says, but, but, which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go down to meat? And I will say rather, but he will say rather unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, until till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I trow not. I used to say that a lot. I trow not. You know? I trow not. Somebody says, is that in the Word? I says, yeah, it's in the Word. <laughs> King James. All right? All right, now, we'll stop right there with that verse. Now, we think that that's what our attitude should be when we've done what was commanded us. We shouldn't be looking for reward and thanksgiving. You know, be thanked. I, I guess I can say Okay. But I don't think that's what that means. You know, you know what I think that means? If you have a slave, he's worked all day in a field. Do you come, when he gets him, do you feed him? Or do you tell him, now serve me? And after you've served me, then you can eat. And doesn't thank him. Why? Because he was a slave. And what I think God is saying here, he says, 
If God made you do it, there's no reward. Do you see that? I mean, you look, look, look at the, you know, where it says in uh, Hebrews eleven six, without faith it's impossible to please Him. But he that comes to God must believe that He is God and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God doesn't want those kinds. Of, he wants love slaves, love servants. Now, what does that mean in context there? I think what it's meaning is when he says to forgive them seven times in a day. Oh, my goodness, increase our faith because that's impossible. And he's just saying, if God made you do it. Well, what's that got to do with loving the Lord thy God? It's because this is part of loving God with all your will. All your will. God wants people that serve Him because they want to. Not because they're made to. God is not going to make you do anything. He could make those rocks serve Him. As a matter of fact, He does. He could make a, uh, a worm serve Him. But he doesn't want people that are made to. Now, he will help you serve him. Remember what it says, thou shalt love and serve the Lord thy God. He will help you serve him. And he will give you, he gives you that little bit of faith. It says, to every believer a measure of faith is given in Rome from Romans 12. Well, God hath given to every man the measure of faith. So he'll give you that measure of faith. But that's all you need. A little bit. Because he wants people that loves him by choice. Now, does he choose us first? Yeah. He chooses us first. But wait, do we choose him? Yes. Both are true. It's called a antinomy or antimony. As Pastor Norm says, antimony, where things that seem like they contradict, but they both are true. He chooses us, but we choose him. Now he gives it the, the measure of faith to do it with. But if we're just slaves, if we just want to be slaves, What did, what did we do more than others? You know, I mean, that's no big deal. Amen? When I was backsliding, and I backslid twice, and uh, when I was backsliding, God would begin to stir in my heart the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, who also intercedes on our behalf. We have the Holy Spirit, so we can intercede like Elijah did, with, who had like passion as we do, or like uh, temptations as we do. 
And it says, if we, in James 5, where it says we can pray earnestly, well, I'm, I'm, read it, James 5, 16 through 18, 15. But when I was backslidden, and God began to, the hound of heaven would begin on me, I would start off by singing one particular song to the Lord, a chorus to the Lord. And that chorus was out of Psalm 31, 34. Psalm 34 was written under a very unique time. It was written when David went to the Philistines for sanctuary. I mean, that, that in itself is absolutely insane. Because, you know, the Philistines is... Goliath was from the Philistines. He killed Goliath. And he's going to... He's looking for sanctuary from Saul. And he's, he's got his son Absalom with him. And in order to get through the the armies into the land of the Philistine to go to one of the lords of the cities of the Philistine whose name was Abimelech at the time similar name to other names that are prevalent in the Bible and he goes to this king Abimelech who is one of the lords of the Philistine and he is pretending to be crazy and he's frothing at the mouth and he's got his son Absalom by the soul, the shoulder, and he's like, you know what? Because you can't, you can't. The Philistines didn't believe that you could kill a person like that. That that was a bad luck. So they didn't. They wouldn't even get near him. So he was passing through the ranks to go to. Can you imagine having your son doing that? This got to be the most humiliating thing anybody's ever done in order to get saved from Saul. And I'm going, to, I'm going to paraphrase what happens next. Abimelech kind of says, that's the most pathetic thing I've ever seen in my life. If, 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 if it wasn't so pathetic, I think I would kill you. Because you do, you kill your enemies. And he was the enemy of all enemies of the Philistines. Maybe even more in Samson. And so he says, but you're so pathetic, you're not even worth killing. So he sends him, runs him out of the country. You know what the Philistine country is? You know what the, all that country? Gaza Strip. That's the Gaza. Oh yeah, the land of the Philistines was the Gaza Strips. Yeah. So anyway, he goes back and he goes up into the caves. And in his total humiliation, total fear of Saul chasing him, total disgust with itself, he writes Psalm 34. One of my favorite psalms. And it starts off with, I will. And I always started off with this psalm when I was so disgusted with myself for my black slid con- uh, condition and I will sing I will bless the Lord at all times my soul I will bless the Lord at all times my soul <laughs> I know the whole psalm his praise shall be continually in my mouth my soul 
shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. That's just the start of it. Then on down about the 8th verse, it says, Taste and see, the Lord is good. If you know what I'm going through right now, that's one of my favorite verses. Taste and see, the Lord is good. But it starts off, I will. I will bless the Lord at all. It was, I had to choke it out of my mouth because I felt almost sacrilegious or blaspheming for me to say such a thing in my condition, but I just said it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And within three months' time, I was at Teen Challenge. And I took a journey to get there. I will. I choose to do it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her bust in. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Magnify the Lord. He only had Absalom there. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Lord, we want to love you with all our heart, mind, body, soul, strength, might, intellect, thoughts, emotions, will, desires. Lord, we choose you. If you're not there, we go looking for you. Like the Shulamite bride, looking for her Lord, looking for her groom. We choose you, O Lord. Hallelujah. But you chose us first. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for that.